the belief comes first Mm -hmm. and then the action, which I just thought was so neat because we can go take all this action to feel God's love. But just because you don't feel it doesn't mean it's not there. And just because it's there doesn't mean you'll feel it. It's just two separate things. God's love and feeling his love is different, you know? So doing that work where kind of paying attention to those really quiet, hidden thoughts, like I'm not enough, I'm insignificant, you know, he doesn't hear me. It's mostly usually about how we feel about ourselves not being worthy or good enough for his time that makes it so hard to feel his love. It is time for another episode of the Cultural Hall and uh, excited to see where this episode ends up. Now, a little behind the scenes, a little uh, peeking behind the curtain as far as this episode. This episode has been scheduled no less than 30,000 times. We have (laughs) tried and then failed and then it's me and then tried and failed and then Emily and tried and failed. Anyway, so pending no sort of uh, natural or man-made disaster in our time, you're going to hear a full-blown episode with myself and Emily McIntyre. Thanks for being here. Oh my gosh, I'm very excited we finally made it happen. It's time. Uh, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be great. Um, we're going to talk about some faith. We're going to talk about God's love in this. But some people go, Emily McIntyre. I don't know who that is. What, 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 who, who are we talking about? So I guess I would ask you that that great existential question of. Who is Emily McIntyre? <laughs> they don't know who I am. What are you talking about? No, I'm right? just kidding. I, I um, always feel the same way. <laughs> don't you know who I am? And they're like, yeah, nope, I don't. I don't know who you are. I think I was talking to my husband about some famous actor I liked. And I was like, I would totally go up to him and say this quote. My husband's like, that's not his quote. I'm like, that would be the best situation. <laughs> you know, and they can't act too proud, but they know you should know them, you know? Sure, sure, sure. So, um, yeah, my name's Emily and I live in Texas with my four kids. Um, and about five years ago, um, I was struggling with family relationships, just normal stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've had depression since I was 18. So it's always kind of confusing. Is it my depression or are these people really that difficult? I feel like that's the question. Mm-hmm. Is it me or is it them? Is it me or is it them, right? Yep, yes, yep. that was the question. Mm-hmm. And when I found coaching my my brother-in-law who's a doctor was like you have to listen to this podcast it's like free counseling <laughs> um and so when i listened to jody moore's podcast who is a, a life coach who was trained at life coach school mm-hmm. um it was kind of like that question went away instead of it being is it me or is it them it was is it my brain like what is my brain offering me that's not serving me which mm-hmm. is such a way to like get away from shame which i feel like is One of those things that piles on depression in any situational depression, Mm -hmm. um, because a lot of that comes from the way we're thinking about our circumstances. If it's not from some past emotional trauma, it's because of the way we're thinking about our circumstances that we get this really intense situational depression. Um, And so even me who has chemical imbalance, of course, life is a roller coaster. I mean, some things are harder than others. Sure. So I was really excited to find tools that could help me navigate individual situations um, that also allowed me to kind of navigate the path myself um, Mm -hmm. without like diagnosing why I got there. You know, um, it felt more useful to me because I don't have a lot of trauma to unpack. I really just was struggling with the day-to-day in motherhood in general, 
is yeah. really intense. So that's yeah, what I've been uh, doing the last five years. Yeah. Yeah. You're alone in that. You are the first mom that I've ever heard that said that that is challenging and hard. So I, I don't want to pile <laughs> on. I'm just teasing. Uh, Jody Moore, who has been here in the culture hall before. Oh, episode cool. 558. You can find the link for that in the show notes. If people want to check that out and go, who, if they don't know that, you know, who right. that person is. Now uh, you can find out alongside Emily, who, uh, and about uh, Jody Moore. So let me ask you, 18 years old. So that's what you said five years ago. So. Uh, we're, we're 23. Am I timing this right? So I, I got the question. I was 18. Okay. Okay. Right. Listen, but this was the, many years later. Take the compliment. Take the compliment. Uh, <laughs> 18 was five years ago. Perfect. I am actually 27. <laughs> okay. Uh, it was two years ago. I got math. That's wrong. right. <laughs> uh, so at 18, when you're, when you're, uh, you're like, Hey, I'm depressed. Is it, is it, um, and you've mentioned situational. Is it like going to the doctor? I am having a hard time with life getting out of bed. What is the, like that? Is it, is that what we're talking about? Or is it what so many of us, you know, sort of experience, which is like, that makes me sad. Or this week was really tough. I mean, I think coaching help with both, but for me, situational depression is still, I think it still involves like, I don't think um, you can find a neuroscientist now that will call it a chemical imbalance but that's just kind of what comes out of my mouth sometimes, but something uh -huh. physiological, right? Uh -huh. I still think there's physiological stuff going on mm -hmm. in situational depression. I just think it's not from our thoughts about the past. It's from our thoughts about the present. Okay. Um, right. So even though we have, a, you know, something going on chemically in our body, we might not be able to deal with something present that somebody else might seem to just like, you know, bust through. And I noticed this in college. This is why I was able to kind of self-diagnosed before I went to the doctor mm -hmm. was, you know, I watched all my roommates sleep through their 8am classes and then just like keep going or get up for their 8am classes. And I could not for the life of me do it. And then when I missed a class, I would like spiral. Mm. And I just started noticing like life doesn't look so hard for everyone else. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think it has to be this hard. And it really helped that I had a roommate going through the same thing. So, um, I mean, that was how I realized I had depression and yeah, it's, it can still be, it's hard to get out of bed. I think takes away your motivation. Um, it's kind of like that instead of flight or fight, it's like that freeze response, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, overwhelm fatigue. Like to me, that's what depression feels like. And, um, you can't just think your way out of it. Right. So yeah. I, I also use tools like medication for a very long time, but even with medication, I wasn't really healing the root cause of the problem because it was never a shortage of, I mean, it was a shortage of serotonin or any kind of, you know, neuroceptor that I needed, but why was I short on that? Right. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. um, so for me really healing the root cause for everything. And I've had chronic illness the last three years has been a huge push for me, a passion to figure out, okay, but why, what triggered that? Yeah. Almost like that annoying little kid. That's like, but why? But yes, why? I am that child. Why? Why? <laughs> why are you that child? Why is that? You know, why, why, why? Uh, like, yeah. it's, it's worth noting briefly, because sometimes yeah. um, certainly in circles of, of friends that I visit with, when people will say, oh, I'm a life coach, there's a certain mm -hmm. stigma that sort of comes with it. And, and, and uh, having had the opportunity to visit with several, there are some that are really great. 
Sure. And then there are also some, just like any sort of profession, any sort of anything, where yeah. there are some that you're like, what, who, what is happening right now? Yeah. Why is this personal life coach? Uh, interesting to note that um, with the recent thing and church adjacent with uh, Ruby Frankie and Jody yes. Hildebrandt, that now they're, they are looking both federally and in uh, the state of Utah at, mm-hmm. in order to be called a life coach, what sort of training, what sort of certification, what kind of things that you, you know, Which you need to great. do or not do to yeah. be a life coach. And I am here for every bit of it. Not that I don't I think, think it's great. Yeah. You know, that there can't be people that kind yeah. of walk alongside people that can be helpful. But I've always made the joke where it's like, yes, I host the cultural hall. It's a life coach podcast. And, you know, and, <laughs> why have you, you know, had a bajillion like, life coaches on here? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, uh, w- worth noting that, you know, um, yeah that there is certainly that stigma about it. I, I would ask you, um, when you talk about um, things like depression and um, being a member of the church down in Texas, you said, uh, oh. congratulations on all the temples, by the way, that are coming your way. Oh, yeah. um, I am curious to know if the stigma of the past, we were uh, once upon a time, a very bootstrappy sort of church where it's like, listen, you just pray, you know, you're talking about those thoughts to think those things away. Um, you just, you just pray those things away or, you know what you're not doing, Emily, you're not serving people. That's what you need to do. I know you're real sad. I know it's real tough right now. Maybe you need medication, but we don't do medication. Just go serve someone. Do you feel like we are finally turning the corner on that? Or what is your experience like that, especially within the church? Yeah, I do. I mean, I don't know if it's just because of where my focus is. If I'm in this echo chamber of what I search for on YouTube, YouTube. Mm-hmm. But I feel like people like Patrick Mason, who wrote the restoration, um, just there's just different amazing uh researchers and thought leaders out there who are members of the church or not, mm-hmm. who are really helping to open our minds to the idea that uh it's just it's just not that simple and, and kind of bringing in the comprehension of understanding mental health and then the morality of what we believe can also help and combining the two. Mm-hmm. instead of just, um, I don't know, creating the shame that comes with like, oh, just pray harder or, yeah. you know, and, or, or my favorite, what did you do? Oh my goodness. I don't think I've ever heard something. that. And if I did, you don't want to know what would happen. <laughs> Let's am, that. Let's just see. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> my sister told me, she's like, you are the sweetest person, unless you think there's been a social injustice in the world <laughs> and you will not be quiet. And if someone ever said that to me, I don't know. I don't think I could bite my tongue. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I didn't do anything. <laughs> Yeah. So, so, uh, so then also, I guess the question that I would have sort of around that is, uh, you know, 18, though that four or five or six years ago, whenever that was that you were mm-hmm. 18 years old and, and you get that visit with the doctor where you start to say, oh, maybe medication is going to be a part of what helps me get through this. Was there any of that either institutional or personal shame where you're like, oh man, medication? That that's a that's a that's a next step. That's a that's a different thing. I am clearly blank because I'm having yeah. to take a medication for it. You know, that's one reason why I always felt called to like help people with depression in some way because it never was a thing. Hmm. When I was a senior in high school, um, my boyfriend's dad was the stake president, and he gave a talk to all the youth, which I think was kind of ahead of his time. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was talking about how depression is like a broken arm; like you just get it go get it healed. There's, you know, it's this, it's nothing bigger. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Mm -hmm. And my mom, my whole life was like, your sensitivity is such a gift. It just Mm -hmm. makes you so empathetic. So 
I just was lucky enough to grow up around people who told me that it was like a superpower, mm-hmm. you know, to be um maybe a little bit more sensitive. And um, so for me, I never felt the shame about it. Um, and that's what made us, I started talking to people about it all the time. I would bring it up in relief society in our church meetings. I would tell friends and I had people calling me all the time, like, Hey, I think I might have postpartum and here's some of my symptoms. I'd be like, yeah, girl, you don't have to feel that way. You should definitely go to your doctor. Right. Mm -hmm. So I just was so grateful for that. But I, I always felt like I want to speak on stage, but I want to have something that actually helps people. Sure. You know? And so I tried all the things I'm very open. So I try some like woo woo stuff. I try whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, but nothing did I feel like, you know, I'm going to shout this from the, this is the way, right. Um, until I found these specific tools, And one of the things you said earlier, like pray Mm -hmm. it away or whatever, those are the things we focus on in the gospel sometimes, which are our behaviors, Mm -hmm. right? Even praying, which involves like intentional thought about what heavenly father wants for us or what we want for us, um, or what we need, even that is still just a behavior. So if we don't go into that with the right intention or thought, it won't really serve us, right? Just like serving somebody. If you're not happy doing it, are you serving them or are you people pleasing? Like, are you mm. right? Are you just doing it because you think you should, or are you really getting the benefits of serving them? Right. And so I love the specific tools that I use because I feel like it really focuses on, but what are you thinking about it? And does it really matter if you're going to pray and serve, if it's not really serving the person? purpose it's meant to, are we just staying busy? And it's like hustle culture, which Mm -hmm. has kind of come into high demand religions, like just hustle, just keep showing up and everything's going to be okay. And I think actually we need to take more time to take stock in the way we feel and slow down, you know, and I think that's what really drew me to these particular tools, you know, adding them to my tool belt made a huge difference, especially in, in comparing, in adding them to gospel tools, I think. Uh, and I want to get in at like a, and I love this phrase, so let me just drop this phrase, at a 30,000 foot level. I'd like to get into the <laughs> kind of what that is uh, in a little bit, but I want to yeah. I want to step in it for just a quick second, because uh, something that that uh, that you said made me sort of think of this. Um, so here we go. Uh, I am a gentleman who's going to speak about this. Is I, To me, I feel like being a woman is incredibly just intense, and let me unpack that. I think it's intense to be a man as well. But like when I think about things like postpartum and then I think about things like growing a baby within you inside of you. And then I think about things like the whole menstrual cycle in general. And then I think about like all of those things, like to me and, and, and then also the way that like, uh, women look at other women or moms look at other moms and there's the guilt and all that stuff. There may be a certain group of people who have dad guilt, but we don't too often, I think, mm-hmm. speak about that stuff. But to me, it just seems like the fact that that women, um, here we go, gonna step in it. The fact that women can like function, I like to me, I'm just like, way to go. You got everything <laughs> against you. Good for yes. good for you. Do you mainly work with women? And do you yes. see just all of those things compounding? Like there's not anyone who isn't facing something. Someone always has something like this kind of going on. Yeah. No, I actually appreciate you saying that. I don't think that's a a dig at all. I think recognizing that is so amazing because women, especially moms are like this. I don't know. I feel like they could be the most amazing CEOs of a company. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I feel like each of my kids should have their own personal assistant because managing their schedules and mm-hmm. their appointments, right. On top of 
never feeling like I did when I was 18, right? Like that physical health, never being there again, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it is a daily, you know, um, intentional work to feel good, like mm-hmm. such a focus to create the energy I need to, you know, go throughout my day. And one of the things that's really important to me is not just helping moms to create like an emotion on demand, but sure. also to create a life that supports their mood. Because yeah. sometimes, you know, we treat our mood like a Dr. Pepper, like even if we're not using Dr. Pepper for our mood, we're like, you know, just, just let me get happy. Cause I have this huge list of things to do. And I'm like, but maybe if we change that list, you could be happy too, because it's too big of a list. Maybe mm-hmm. we don't need to do all those things. Maybe our kids don't need to be in all the sports. Yeah. You know, yeah. maybe they'll still be where they need to be when they're 20. If you aren't running them all the places. So I like taking that like dual sided approach to like, let's manage our mood with medication and thought work and therapy and whatever works for you. But then let's also adjust our lifestyle. Yeah, I just, you know, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I want to take a break real quick. When we come back in the second block, uh, let's get into that kind of, you're talking about these tools in the tool belt. I know, first of all, everyone's not paying for this session. This is a free thing. So we're not going deep on all these things, but I would (laughs) like to get kind of an idea about this. Uh, And then also uh, I want to get into, uh, you talked about God's love and God loving you. And I think I want to tease that up a little bit uh, as we get towards this break and then come back in the second block. We'll get into that as well. Let's take a break and come right back. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, remember that there is a group that you are not a part of. And if you uh, if you have the FOMO, I'm really going to lay it on thick here. I, I think that uh, Emily would probably think I should not do this, but um, forgive me. There is the Patreon Saints. We're hanging out on uh, Facebook. And if you go to patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall. You get to be a part of that secret, but not sacred Facebook group where all the Patreon saints are hanging out. Uh, they get to see the episodes long before you get to hear them. You get to see the videos as well. And, uh, sometimes we do, uh, you know, such, uh, you know, titillating conversation as where did Richie get his shirt among other things. So be sure that you go to <laughs> patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall, become a Patreon saint. So Emily, uh, I want to, I, as we were sort of taking that break and then uh, decided to come back, I also thought about my own experience. So fairly recently diagnosed with, uh, ADHD as an adult grown man, right. And, uh, found out that, Hey, some depression is linked to ADHD and maybe I wasn't depressed necessarily. Maybe it was this whole other thing. Um, but I remember when, uh, I first got the prescription for Adderall, I was like, okay, uh, how do I, how do I feel about this? Now I'm taking a medication, you know, like before it's like, I got ADD and we sort of laugh about it at the party and then pinkies up and take a drink. Um, but then taking medication for something, it seems like it's like, no, now, this is real. As I swallow the pill, I am admitting that I benefit or need this thing. 
And there was about 30 seconds where I was like, do not tell anyone. Keep it to yourself. And then I was like, that helps zero. And so now when people are like, listen, I know because I've shared it on social media and some of those things, people are like, what, how has that been? And I'm like, game changer has literally changed my life being properly diagnosed and then being able to find the right amount to take and, you know, the time and all those kind of things. And mm -hmm. I just think to kind of, to put a button on what we were talking about right before the break, we just need to talk about things and be mm -hmm. able to talk about them and allow people to say them the wrong way and the yeah. right way and the sort of wrong way. Um, but we need to be able to have these conversations to be able to even have a hope of getting through it. Yeah. Excellent point. I mean, you know, and, and like you said earlier, like there's, I really like that they're going to be looking at coaching industry and offering this third party, maybe certification or something that everybody has to go through mm -hmm. because in any industry, I feel like there are good and bad apples, but at least now, right in that industry, we can feel like we all have the same standard mm -hmm. of we knowing what someone was taught or, mm -hmm. um, because in my experience and I don't want to demonize the entire, you know, I don't want to put a blanket statement on all sure. of the medical field, right? Because medication was a game changer for me as well. Um, I don't think I could do that. Anything would work for me if I wasn't, you know, using medication that brought me at least to like a level playing field, like a three, sure. right. From a zero. So, you know, I'm so grateful for that. But like my experience was that some doctors were, were, I don't know, it kind of frustrated me later looking back that the type of questions that were asked when I was telling them that I had depression, it, it mm -hmm. mostly because it felt like it was just me explaining it, then their interpretation of it. And then them offering me whatever medication was popular or being advertised. And then me trying it, it felt like a game of whack-a-mole. Mm -hmm. And then there were mm -hmm. also experiences where I had uh, many doctors who didn't have the best bedside manner. I don't think that's some doctor's forte. That's okay too. Mm -hmm. uh, we want intelligent doctors that maybe don't spend time on bedside manner. That's all right. Yeah. But, you know, I got good and bad with that industry, you know, with that too. So um, I think whatever you need that works and sharing that so that we just take the shame out of that. So people will go out and try something. Mm -hmm. One of the things is I get a lot of moms who, once they start coaching with me, I actually coach them through their thoughts about being on medication hmm. where they finally realize like, Oh, you're right. Like there's no reason to feel shame. And then they go try something. Right. So, um, sometimes coaching comes first and sometimes therapy and sometimes medication and then that. So let's talk about it so that everybody will just go try something and just not make it mean anything about their worth and who they are. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. The other thing that I think that's sort of interesting, and this is human behavior. I think that we say, well, I tried something yeah, and then, and then we're done. And it's like, but you did, you didn't feel any better, whether this is medication or therapy or a sound bath or a life coach or whatever. They're like, try to thing. I guess this is the life I was meant to lead. Yeah. Yes. And that's the thing I love to dissect when, when, you know, women tell me like, well, I tried medication and I love to ask them like, okay, well, how many, how many did you try and how long were you on it? And I just mm -hmm. like to, you know, walk them through it so that I can just put it all in front of them. Like, okay, so you tried one medication for a month. Like, did you ever try going up on medication? Did you ever try a different medication? And it's all up to them, but I just want to show them what the facts are versus mm -hmm. these, this belief they have that nothing works for them. Right. 
Right. Yeah. So let's uh, let's thirty thousand foot level. Yes, I'm getting points for every time again. I say that. Is uh, <laughs> the tools that uh, that you talk about that that one might experience through coaching, or that you bring to the table, or that you help put in the hands of the people that you work with? Yeah. So one of the main tools is helping people recognize that circumstances are neutral. And I don't know if you guys have heard this on the podcast, but it is a massive game changer. The idea that the situations in our life don't create our feelings. And this is the way we speak about everything in life, right? It's like, um, you know, we feel like our finances are making us stressed, mm -hmm. right? Or a goal we have feels overwhelming or they're making me feel mad. So constantly we feel like our emotions are coming from a situation in our lives. Mm -hmm. The truth is that, you know, moms will come to me and be like, how come some days my kids make me crazy? And some days I'm just, I'm fine. I can handle it. I'm chill. Well, some of it's obviously physiological, but also we have different thoughts about the same circumstances on different days. Okay. So we're going to feel an emotion about our kids saying no to us one day. And the next day it's going to roll off our back because we chose a different thought. That circumstance never was the thing creating our feelings. And so that's one part of it is just neutralizing the circumstance and then paying attention to what did I make it mean when my child said no, because that's what made it so intense, right? They don't respect me. They don't care about me. Um, they don't see how hard I'm working. All those thoughts make me crazy. Mm -hmm. And my brain offers them to me 24 seven as truth, right? So yeah. Yeah. So I've got a question about this though. Cause I've all, I, I, uh, certainly we've talked about this principle before. Um, one of the things that I always related to is the, uh, you know, God grant me the serenity to control the things that I can control and know the things that I can't and then be able to see the difference between the two. That's, yes. ru that's crudely uh, interpreted or, or right. paraphrased, but, um, the idea that, yeah, you know, we can choose, we get, we get to choose and uh, that things are neutral. The question that I have though is, you know, uh, say that this interview hadn't worked out and you send me a text message right before and I'm like, ah, ah, you yeah. know, and then I go, okay, well, she's not making me mad. But then I also, I hear so much and it sort of becomes a, 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 a pop culture phrase to be like, well, you got to feel your feelings. So how do I both be neutral and <laughs> feel all my feelings when we have things that just make us so mad, but I also get to choose the, you know, yeah. where, where's the neutrality and being so mad. Well, I love that you said that because just because circumstances are neutral does not mean we want to feel neutral about everything or mm -hmm. that we will, because you're a human being with emotions that make your life rich. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know that you want to feel neutral about me skipping on a call. Yeah. You might not want to be mad eventually, mm -hmm. right? You might be mad at first, but maybe eventually you're like, okay, I don't want her to ruin my whole day. Right. So now what, right? Because I can't change what happened earlier, but I'd like to have a better day. So because circumstances are neutral, it just gives us the opportunity, some, a little bit of leverage over the emotion that comes from that situation. Okay. So it's not that we want to feel neutral about everything. Sure. I want, like I said, I get fired up about injustices. I want to feel that way. But when it's affecting my life, when I feel like the world is so heavy and there's too much and I can't help and it's affecting my parenting, then I want to take a look and be like, okay, I, I, there are people who feel differently. There are people who just skip around and these things don't bother them. So what are they thinking that I'm not? Because this is becoming too heavy for me. So it's the idea that you can feel how you want to feel when you're ready. And that feeling your feelings part, that's what I do in the moment. Mm -hmm. That's not, I, I can't do a thought 
I can't do thought work. I can't, you know, pay attention to what I'm thinking when I'm in the middle of a heated conversation. Sure. So I might just like take the opportunity, maybe five minutes later, or right during it to really like pay attention to how I'm feeling. And I like to separate the feeling for myself. So like, I am feeling overwhelmed, not like I'm overwhelmed. Okay. It's kind of like, it takes away the shame too. Like I am feeling frustrated, not like I'm frustrated, but mm-hmm. I'm feeling some frustration. That's okay. It's just an emotion. Um, but later when I've calmed down when I have some perspective, I might journal about, and trying to figure out, but what was I thinking that created so much frustration? Mm-hmm. And do I believe that? Like, do I want to keep that thought? Is that something that actually I believe? And when we talked about the hustle culture a little bit earlier, mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of us have this thought that I need to do more to be worthy, to be enough. But when we hold that thought up next to our actual beliefs that like, I'm a child of God with infinite worth, Mm -hmm. it it doesn't hold true. It's like, oh, I guess I, I guess my worth is set. So a lot of the thoughts are just offered to us on default. We don't actually believe, but we've never taken a look at. Hmm. And what about if the if the feeling uh, that we just get when we get in that heated argument, and you're like, listen, I am now just planning all of the vengeful ways that I am going to hurt that person. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding, of course. Uh, let, let's move to the to an, another part of this sort yeah. of um, thirty thousand. Yes, I'm, I swear I should I should you're make awesome a little today. swear jar for the thirty thousand foot. <laughs> uh, take me to another one of the principles that you like to walk people through. Well, I love that you mentioned like feeling God's love. And I, I have to talk about that because it's yeah, one of my favorite it. things. I mean, I learn all these things because when I'm coaching and applying the model, which is where I've gathered all these principles, right? It's kind of like a little formula to put your thoughts and behaviors in. I learn these things as I'm coaching people. So I was coaching a woman who was struggling with, she had gone through a lot and she was really struggling to feel God's love in her life. And so she kept like, changing. So, sorry, I'm going to interrupt you. So things like sin or like life had happened to her. Does that make sense? Like things yeah. that were, just for context sake, and I, if it's yeah, no. you know ruining someone's identity or something, don't go there. No, but no, I'm no, just no, curious exactly. if it's like, I have done these things or all of these things around me. What are we talking about? No, she was going through a lot of chronic illness. Okay. And because of that depression. Okay. So she, and you know, a lot of times people are going through depression. It's really hard to feel close to people close to God. They just feel Mm -hmm. disconnected generally. Um, and she just felt like, you know, I'm going through all these hard things. Why can't I feel that support? You know, why can't I feel God's love? So she doubled down with her actions, right? She like read her scriptures more and she prayed more and she served more like we were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I noticed is that she was trying to feel God's love, love by doing more, but her thought and feeling had not changed. So we got to kind of go further upstream because what drives our behavior is always going to be our emotion. And what creates our emotion is our thought. So if she keeps thinking, God doesn't love me or he's not supporting me, or when we ask questions like, why isn't he supporting me? Mm-hmm. Your lower brain is answering that on default, like, because you don't matter. Like those mm-hmm. are the little quiet thoughts that we don't sometimes notice that we believe. So if she has this thought, like we, I don't matter, her feelings going to be insignificant And then she's taking that as the fuel to go read her scriptures, pray more. And she's never going to feel God's love, not because it's not there, but I just want to offer to all y'all that, you know, I, when I did a podcast on it, I talked about how let's just go from the, and you might not believe it, but let's just go from at least my belief that God loves you. So let's say he does. 
if that's the circumstance, it's neutral, meaning whether or not God loves you is not going to change whether or not you feel it. Hmm. So if you believe that's true, like that's something you have faith in, but you have all these other thoughts that like, my worth is based on how much I do. I made significant. He's left me. You won't feel his love. So, you know, what I was noticed as I was coaching here was that we had to do more work on her belief first. And there's a beautiful scripture. I don't have it in front of me, you know, about how the belief comes first and mm-hmm. then the action, which I just thought was so neat because we can go take all this action to feel God's love. But just because you don't feel it doesn't mean it's not there. And yeah. just because it's there doesn't mean you'll feel it. It's just two separate things. God's love and feeling his love is different, you know? So doing that work where kind of paying attention to those really quiet, hidden thoughts, like I'm not enough, I'm insignificant, you know, he doesn't hear me. It's mostly usually about how we feel about ourselves not being worthy or good enough for his time that makes it so hard to feel his love. And obviously, you know, some physiology, if you are depressed and feeling really disconnected. Sure. And some things within the culture, which I hope that we're kind of getting away from where it's like, well, uh, you don't have the uh, presence of the Holy Ghost if you've sinned. Like it sort of feeds into that idea of I have done a thing now Mm -hmm. and God is not with me. God does not love me because I viewed a thing, did a thing, you know, yelled a kid, whatever the thing may be. I love that we talk about like us stepping away. I don't even think we step away. I just think we're not in a place to feel the spirit. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's a gift to always be with us, you know, and yeah. it's just, I love the way, um, why did I just forget his name? Bernard. President Nelson. Oh, I've got, no. six, I've got 14 other I can guess. Right. <laughs> so the B, um, mm. anyways, one of these apostles talks a lot about the spirit and he said that you'd be more, it would be easier to know when you can't feel it because we are so conditioned to how it feels to have it with us because it's so that's all the time. I mean, it is always with us, but when we can't feel it, it's because we're not thinking something that allows us to feel an emotion. Right. Mm-hmm. So, um, I just think that's really powerful that maybe you don't feel like the Holy ghost is with you, but you might just be really accustomed to having it. You know, it might just be like that, that you've lived with it for so long you know, and same idea of why we have a thought or an idea to do something. And that's also the Holy ghost because we're one, like our spirit is one with the Holy ghost. It it feels like us, you know? So let me, let me interject in here. So you talk about, you know, we, we've sort of mentioned your experience that, uh, that your personal experience with depression has sort of brought you into what you're doing. And as you're kind of healing and then subsequently able to help other people as well. Uh, how, uh, how did the understanding of God's love or the feeling of God's love for you change your life specifically? For me, I feel like it's been a gift to always, I know it's annoying, right? You like want me to say some, you know, that I've gone through something crazy, you know, for anybody who's listening, it's like, come on. But I feel like I've had this kind of just this gift of always knowing. I remember struggling in high school before I was diagnosed with depression. I think Mm -hmm. I had depression. Mm -hmm. I got a dog here. You're good. Um, but always I knew in the back of my head, like I would be like, why can't I feel it? And like, why do I feel so alone? Like, why can't I feel like those stories where they you wrap your arms around me? And then I'd have this thought like, you know, God loves you, hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. when I went to Nauvoo and we learned about Oliver Cowdery and, um, you know, 
the Lord says to him, like, I've already told you the answers to the things I, you already had these feelings in your heart. Like, I'm not going to keep bringing them to your remembrance. So every time I had a question, I would have this thought, like, but you already know mm-hmm. he's not going to tell you same thing. When I want to marry my husband, it was like, but you already know he's a great person. Mm-hmm. Like you already have a great head on your shoulders and you know, he's wonderful. And so, cause sometimes I was like, am I ever going to get like a real strong answer? Sure. But I want I, the overwhelming. Yes. I want my ancestors to come to me in the temple and say, yes. he's the one. Yes. Don't you know? Yeah. But yeah. as I feel like I've studied the brain, I've just been so fascinated with just the fact that it's not that heavenly father has put challenging things and easy things here on the earth. You know, mm-hmm. we talk about opposition and all things mm-hmm. instead, it's the way our brain works and interprets the world so that everybody will get this equally challenging experience, right? That your brain will always find, you know, half hard and half easy. It will always get through half of the stuff and still be struggling. It will find something new to, you know, challenge it. Mm-hmm. I just think that's so amazing because it's heavenly father never just like by magic creates something. So of course he would make our bodies and our brains, you know, work in such a way that we could learn and grow. So one of the things that you hear a lot about in this space is like neuropathways, or essentially we have developed our way of this thing happens. Of course it happens to me. It's not happening to so-and-so. So we start, we kind of have these beliefs that then it, it becomes that much easier. You know, when I, when I feel this way, I eat this, or when I feel this right. way, I, I think this about myself and then it causes me to drink this, use this, whatever the thing may be. Right. But as it's been described to me, it is like, or the way I picture it, almost like canals, you know, that when you see a brain and you see like the little squigglies in it, I'm like, well, that's the thought that I have that leads me to the kitchen. Well, yeah. that's the thought that, you know. Yeah. yeah. Do you believe that it can be changed? That the way that when we have these things occur, uh, either the way that we look at life or the way that we feel like things are interacted, or if we take it another step into like faith and belief within the gospel and those things, are those paths that can be changed? Yeah. Um, I study neuroplasticity all the time. I'm fascinated by the way that our brains change chemically first. Mm-hmm. So by like practicing new thoughts or even taking a medication, it's like a fresh snow. Like you've been sledding down and creating these like deep grooves in the snow. And then you get this fresh snow. And to me, that's like medication or a really good day or, mm-hmm. you know, this working out, having this euphoric feeling, right? Chemically things are changing. But then if you just sled down the same spot, you're going to get right in that rut again, right? It's right under the fresh powder. Mm -hmm. Um, But when you take a step to the left, you know, through some awareness, you're going to get a new neural pathway. So our brains actually change chemically first and then physically change. Like you will see changes in the brains. You will see new neural pathways of new little canals form in the brain. And so, yeah, we used to think neuroplasticity, like the ability for our brain to change ended at like seven. And now we see that it doesn't stop. Hmm. And, um, I can't think of her name, but there was this amazing woman that spoke at the faith matters matters. Yeah. Yes. And she talked about how people's people who have faith or belief, um, in higher power, their brains actually look quite different than Hmm. other people. So I just, I'm so fascinated by science, which is one reason specifically why I was drawn to these coaching tools um, they felt more concrete. It felt like a little math problem. I could put like 
my situation, my thought, my feeling, my behavior, and then the result was creating and kind of take a look at it. And it kind of untangles all those thoughts. So you can take this clean look at it. I love, I just am fascinated by science and then to bring, and also, you know, from somebody who I told you like was diagnosed with depression from someone just listening to me and being like, okay, I think you have depression. Here's the medication. Mm -hmm. You know, it was, it's always been really fascinating to me to find a way to diagnose the root cause through science. Cause I've been really fascinated with like, um, nutrigenomics, like DNA testing and pharmacogenomics, like testing for what medications will actually work with your body the best, hmm. you know, based mm-hmm. on your DNA, like these things fascinate me because they're available, but they're not offered in you know, they're not offered through insurance. Your doctor's not going to offer a DNA test to you. So I don't know. I'm just fascinated with the brain and yes, I think your brain can change and will continue Hmm. to change. And, um, and and you probably have lots of examples where that's happened to you, where you used to just like have to go, you know, maybe not with food. I feel like that's something we're all going to have to like, just go through forever because we always have to eat, (laughs) but there's those things that you've just been conditioned to do that now you look back and you're like, Oh, I don't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. Like I I remember when I got a cat and he was, she was pawing at the door at 7am and I literally would sleep through my noon classes in college. (laughs) So, I mean, I could sleep in. And I remember being like, I can never have children because this is torture. Like I I'm not going to wake up with a baby at 7am. Yeah. And now I find myself driving my son to seminary at 550 you know, and it, it's amazing. Like the, the way you can change and adapt, you know, it always blows my mind. And it, I feel like we always get to discover who we always were and the power we always had, but our brain is so limited by what we've done. I mean, like, well, that's all you can do. And that's all you can do. So I just think that's such a gift to like break one of those cycles, those neural pathways, create a new behavior and then be like, Oh, I was capable of that all along. Like, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really like, uh, you know, I haven't done, though I've done therapy, I haven't done much like coaching and stuff like that, but I love the way that God sort of does the neuropathways with me. You know, do you remember, I don't know how old you are, but I imagine you probably know and remember these things. They were like sand between two panes of glass in a frame. And you could like, they, there was also probably oil or I'm not sure what the other substance was, but you could flip it around yeah. and sort of do that. Um, what I kind of like the way that God gets me to change things is he, you know, some people they're like, oh, we're just going to tilt this a little bit. And I swear he's up there shaking the thing and then flips <laughs> it around and goes, okay, here we go. Yeah. And I always think, you know, I probably could have got the same result if I just would have been like a little more aware and just not gotten so far down the road that it took God going shake, 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 turn. All right, now we're going to figure our way through this, right? And I think that people do that if they're not taking care of themselves mentally. That's when you have like anxious, uh, ang- uh, why can't I think of what they're called? Anxious, mm, anxiousness, nervous breakdowns, those kind of things that where you just are like, cannot do this anymore. Bottom of the barrel kind of stuff where you have to do something else. Why, why allow ourselves to get there? Why not do something in advance of all of it? Yeah, and our lives are just set up, yeah, for us to get there because- yeah everyone tells us to, and this is the thing. I mean, as a life coach, people think that I'm also going to be like, be more positive. Everyone's telling us to be more positive and to hustle. This is like the culture we live in. And I think hustling doesn't allow us to figure out how we're feeling and being more positive. is like slapping a positive thought 
on a negative emotion and thought that we have about something where it's like, we never get the awareness we need. Yeah. It's like that silver lining. And sometimes when we're in high demand religions, that's what we want to do because we feel shame about struggling with being mm-hmm. happy about doing something, you know? So we get in this mess where we have anxiety and depression. And, and that's why I say situational because it's not all from trauma stored in our body and trauma from the past. A lot of it, especially now you, you see it's so prevalent. It's because of our lifestyle. It's because of our beliefs about who we should be and how we should be. And also, you know, this culture of perfectionism that we've curated on Instagram that we feel like then when we go in public, we have to also offer to people, Yeah, you know, what, what happened to going people being like, how are you feeling? Are you still depressed and crying every morning? Can I come over? Like, you know, why is that a problem? And it would just be so wonderful to get rid of the shame because everyone is going through it. Like when people come to me, I'm like, you don't need to feel bad. Why do you think I have so many clients? Everyone has had know someone or has experienced depression or anxiety. It's just not something it's not weird. It's not odd anymore. Yeah. You know? Well, except for you though, you've got it all figured out. You have that's all right. the answers and that's why people <laughs> she laughs hilariously. Let's, let's take another break. Uh, when we come back in the uh, third block, we'll catch any of the other uh, kind of tools for the tool belt. Plus there's three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. I'll ask those of you and then we'll wrap this sucker out. We'll come back and do that in the third block of the cultural hall. <laughs> bestdjinutah.com. You're right. It's a new ad. What? Well, it's been an entire season since I've recorded a bestdjinutah.com ad. And well, the wedding season coming to an end at this point, but not really because what happens now is everyone who's going to get married in 2024 reaches out and says, Richie, is it possible? Do you still have this date? And I tell them, yes, hopefully. And then we get you booked. We'd love to be able to work with you. Uh, travel all along the Intermountain West. Some people call it the Jello Belt. Uh, you can go to bestdjinutah.com to request a quote. You can find us on any of the social medias at bestdjinutah. And uh, we can answer any questions. Affordable? Yes. Over 400 five-star reviews? Yes. Highest rated in the state of Utah? Uh-huh. Go on. It's best djinutah.com and and I'll give you a little hint it it also helps me to be able to do this like financially support the cultural hall through that and you get something in return Hi friends, Dan the Laptop Man here from PC Laptops. You can get a brand new PC Laptops desktop and they start at only $29 a month and it comes with a lifetime warranty just check us out at pclaptops.com that's pclaptops.com Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, remember, you can always send us an email. Never closes. Always open. Electronic, so I don't have to open anything and risk getting a paper cut. It is contact at theculturalhall.com. Now I'm thinking about the paper cut I got one time. Just bleeding. Uh, Contact at theculturalhall.com. If you love this episode or you love uh, any of the other episodes we do, we like words of affirmation. That is our podcast love language. Would you mind... Uh, contact at theculturalhall.com and let us know. Also, if you're like, you know, you talk to Emily and I've got this great friend who this, I know this person in my ward who that, then you feel like they would be a great guest for the Cultural Hall. You can certainly do that. Contact at theculturalhall.com. Always better if you let them know that I'm going to be reaching out to them, but not always necessary. I always like the ones where I get to pretend like I'm their best friend. They should know who I am. And really, it's just <laughs> because I got their name and phone number from someone else who listens to the 
Culture Hall. Contact at theculturalhall.com. Emily, what are we missing? Give me the tools. We've only got a few more minutes left, so maybe you just kind of list them out, and then if people want to know more, they hit you up, and we'll make sure that there's a link in our show notes to get to you. Yeah, I feel like sometimes it sounds like this ominous tool I keep speaking of, so I'm going to give you guys a little exercise that I give to a lot of my clients that will really help. So if you ask yourself the question, like, who thinks differently about the situation? Okay. Um, oftentimes I'll notice, I think differently about, I think differently about a situation when it's my two-year-old versus my husband, mm. right. Or my Although dog very versus similar my husband. Sometimes, correct. Yes. <laughs> sometimes, <laughs> but right. But I don't get upset at my two-year-old, but with my husband, it's like, why? Right. Same thing. Like my 12-year-old versus my two-year-old, right. It's, it, it's, there's no frustration with my two-year-old, my 12-year-old. I'm constantly frustrated thinking this is not how a 12-year-old behaves, which is like mm. the most toxic thought I think that I have. Um, so when you figure out what do I think other times, or what does somebody else think about this that doesn't get so upset and you find that thought. So mine might be to my two-year-old is like, he doesn't understand or he's trying his best. Okay. Something like that. I'm going to write it down in a journal at night and every day I'm going to look for two, um, pieces of evidence that that's true. Okay. Right. So two, two reasons that that's true, that that that's his best maybe. Um, and then I'm going to write those two down. And so every night when I go to bed, I have next to me, this journal that has this thought at the top of it, you know, this is his best. It's not that great, but it's his best. Mm -hmm. And throughout the day, I'm going to be looking for seeing that that's his best. Like, oh, I can, he's not trying to give me a hard time. He's having a hard time. That's his best. Like I can see that. And I'm going to write that down. What happens is it's like, we have this metal detector. It's always looking for what's going on wrong and what could go wrong. What can mm -hmm. we prevent? And it's searching for gold. Okay. And that setting is whatever you believe currently that a 12 year old should behave better than this. But when we switch it to silver, we can actually find silver. Mm -hmm. When we had it on gold, the silver was always there, but we couldn't find it. We weren't looking for it. We would have passed right over it. Right. So when we look for evidence of a new thought, even though we don't believe it yet. We're like, are you sure though? This is their best. Cause it seems like they could be better. When we look for evidence of that new thought, it's like changing the dial on a metal detector and you will find it. And eventually that thought will feel so true. And the other one will just fall away. I, I really did used to say out loud all the time. Um, this is not how a nine-year-old behaves, right? This is not how a 12 year old should act. Mm -hmm. And I realized it was making me miserable. And now I never hear myself saying that that is one that I can say, I've worked really hard at dropping that one thought where I'd think like, if they could be better, they would be. And obviously it's how a 12 year old behaves. It's how mm -hmm. my 12 year old behaves. And if he could be better, he would, because it would feel better. Everybody wants to get along with their mom or their siblings. So that's a tool I would encourage all of y'all to use to try to just like shift those thoughts a little bit. Yeah. I like yeah. that. I like that. Uh, maybe we get to the, to tell people where they can find you. If they're like, man, she is my jam. And also what part of Texas are you? And I don't think I asked. Yeah. I'm in San Antonio, actually spring branch, okay. which is a okay. tiny little town above San Antonio. Okay. Okay. And you can, if you guys love podcasts, because you love listening to the cultural hall, you can mm -hmm. find my podcast. It's called limitless female. And you can also find me at limitlessfemalecoaching.com. Now, uh, would you coach a male? Yes, I have coached actually. Plenty of males. Yeah. Okay. And okay. Um, a few teens. 
Okay. Okay. I always wonder that when people are like, well, it's the boss Women. babes. And I'm like, what if I'm not a babe? <laughs> but like, I, I think you're cool. I think the way this works, you know, yeah. I'm not a babe, but uh-huh. uh, okay. So we can find that in the show notes. Uh, and uh, you live probably pretty close to uh, uh, co-host of the cultural hall, the wilds down there in San Marcos. Yeah. I do live close to San Marcos. That's very yeah. cool. Yeah. Very cool. I always like to do that Mormon. Do you know? We'll do that. I now. know. Right. Yeah. Uh, the three questions we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall are as follows. The first one is, do you have a calling right now? And if so, what is it? Yes, I teach the 12 and 13-year-olds, of which my daughter is in that class. Okay. How does yeah. she like that? Uh, I don't think she likes it very much. I don't think yeah. I like it very much, if I'm being honest. It's a large class, mm-hmm. and it is something to go from being at home where teenagers, mm-hmm. your kids are becoming teenagers, and they just tell you no to going to class, you know, that phenomenon when your kids realize they can just say no mm-hmm. and not do something. And you're literally realized you have zero power. Yeah. You know, I'm like, you need to step outside because you won't stop talking. And they just say no. And I literally have no more tools left. I'm like, okay, yeah. <laughs> let's continue on with the lesson. <laughs> and then you just look at them and say, I am not going to say this is not how 12 year olds should be acting, but right, right, exactly. <laughs> I am thinking it. So uh, if you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? Ooh, if I could make one up, mm-hmm. I would be like a rotating fireside speaker. You know, okay. on the fireside circuit for Mormons, um, if that's a thing. And if I could pick one, it would probably be Sunday school teacher. I okay. used to just think it was so much work. And now I've created so much content that creating a talk is just easy and fun. I love okay. it. Now, yeah. Sunday school teacher, you're talking like gospel doctrine kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I or guess, you know, school. I guess I would be like, like a pastor, like somebody who spoke every week in sacrament meeting. That's Ooh. what I would be. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. You know, I've had some bad talks before that I oftentimes have thought, you know what, can we let this part of the congregation not ever speak? Because they don't want to, and I don't want them to. I mean, right. it, it doesn't feel super Christian, right? Especially within within our faith where everyone should be able to talk. But there are people yeah. Yeah. that are gifted at delivering uh, an uplifting or sure. an insightful message. And I think, man, I can't wait nine months until this guy gets to speak again. I know. Who are you listening to next? Oh, no. But the levity, the levity that comes from those people who share these long stories and say mm-hmm. things that are not politically correct or, mm-hmm. you know, uh, are just the best. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't get any better than that. So yeah, that's uh that's my spiritual gift. <laughs> the things that upset people, I'm able okay. to. I'm like, let's let's write these down. Check them off. Here we go. Uh, the yeah. final question that we ask everyone, uh, we ask you to interpret it however you would like to. But the question remains: What is your favorite part of your faith? Mm, my favorite part of my faith is being allowed, or that's not the right word. Get the privilege of coming to Earth. And knowing from birth about my savior, you know, somebody who's descended below all of us, who I know has felt everything, especially when it comes to mental health, like just what a beautiful, you know, the mistakes we make with our kids and we ruin them, you know, he's made up for all of that. He's made up for, it's not a sin to have anxiety, but he's, he's felt that, you know, he's felt all of it. And that's just, I mean, incomprehensible. So that that journey to like understand that through life and the fa- and the fact that the gospel is never ending in learning and deepening actually no i i mean that's my favorite but also 
and growing. I have in, lots of favorites. Can I? I have another, another one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I would say growing in empathy for others. Mm-hmm. It's blown my mind, especially through like 2020 and all the things that happened in our country, just continuing to see things from another perspective. It blows my mind how much more empathy and understanding you can have for other people. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, oh, this is what it means to be Christ-like. And mm-hmm. then we go through something else and we can relate with a whole nother group. And we're like, oh, this is what it means. That's my favorite thing. Yeah. Well said. For whatever reason, uh, impresses your speaking. And as we've been kind of chatting this whole time, uh, the thought that has uh, reoccurred and occurred in my mind is the idea that God wants us to be happy. So if you are someone who listened to this, was drawn to this, and you're like, man, there's got to be more to life than what is currently going on, there is. And and whatever you need to do to get that, God is the biggest cheerleader up there going, come on, here we go. I'm here. Let's go get in, get in the game. I'm, I'm with you. You're in the game, but let's, you know, let's, let's go for it. God doesn't want us to be miserable for sure. Well, Emily, I hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body. And that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week. And that when the time comes, you will be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, Chris at Alpine Lakes Travel, Rick McGee, Debbie Wanless and Chocolate Cake Bites podcast. We'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat, it's sure to be neat. On the back row, we really gotta go on the Cultural Hall show.